Welcome back, Richard. It's it's good to see you. Here we, we are at the end of the end of May. It is the end of May. It is the end of Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about in in traditional fashion. Uh, you know, like we've been talking over the last couple of weeks, we're going to cover a really tough topic today. Um, topic that's in the news uh, related to all so many things that have been going on. Um, and related to the last couple of podcasts that we've done, where we've, we've hit kind of some really heavy topics, um, we're going right. to do that today. Right. Um, it's, it's kind of odd. Um, sa- it's sadly odd. Um, in the past couple of weeks, we talked about uh, banning books in schools. Um, yeah. How do you solve that problem? And then last week, we talked about the, um, the Buffalo, uh, Buffalo, New York shooting, the grocery store shootings. And the, um, the idea that adverse childhood experiences might explain why uh, some people um, elect to uh, become mass, uh, mass murders um, and the contribution of adverse childhood experiences to that. And um, lo and behold, another week, and last week we talked about that, that um, in the first 19 weeks of 2022, there had been 198 mass shootings, uh, mass shootings, defined as four more casualties. And um, that was uh, the week of around May 14th. And then a week later, we have the, uh, the um, tragic events at the elementary school in uh, Uvalde, Texas. Um, and again, another 21 victims. Um, with the book banning, and, and so we thought, well, this is sadly, um, there's a sad juxtaposition here between what we've been talking about and the, uh, the events in Uvalde. And so we thought, <clears throat> I don't think there's anything we can add. If, if you're reading anything or you're listening to the news, I think that people have, have really um, dissected and discussed the, um, the events in Uvalde. And I, I just don't think there's much that we can add to that. But then it struck us that, you know, this, the, the, this, whole, this whole idea of mass shootings, guns and gun violence in the United States is is our complex problem. Uh, different generations have had complex problems. And people say, well, and, and especially they'll ask us as mental health providers, you know, why, why would somebody do that? We don't have the answer to that. Um, I think you raised a really good point last week when you said, I think it was after the podcast, you and I were discussing it, and you said, okay, we know all these things, but why, why does somebody, where's the tipping point that somebody starts shooting? Right. Because we, we talked about ACEs last week. And, you know, let's just be honest, there, there are millions of people who have moderate to, to high ACEs scores that never become violent. Um, there are millions of people with mental health conditions and mental illness that never become violent. Um, but there's 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 some other factor. Um, and, and one of the other things we talked about is um, and we wrote about this in our 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 column in the newspaper. Um, we wrote about, um, you know, you know, bias and, um, and how, you know, we tend, if we look at a lot of these individuals who have committed such crimes, they, they are hyper-focused on certain things and they, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much of it rooted in fear. Um, and so you, you have these, we have these pieces, but those pieces alone uh, don't make the, don't, don't really create a, paint the picture for the puzzle. Um, there, there's one more piece that, that we don't know what it is. And, and we can't, you know, I don't know that we'll ever know what that other piece is. 
That's right. And I, I think that therein lies the key. Now, there, there are a couple of books written. I've ordered one of them. Um, but there are people who are starting to address the idea. But I don't think anybody's come up with a real good explanation of what happens that somebody like this uh, fellow in Texas or the Buffalo, what happens that you put on this military gear and get these high velocity, um, high impact weapons and start shooting people? What, what, what is that difference? Because, you know, we talked about mental illness. Plenty of people have mental illness. They're not shooting up schools and grocery stores. It doesn't matter what factor you look at. So right. what this means, what this means then, and, and we, we freely admit, nobody knows what turns a shooter into a shooter. Okay. We know, we know the contributing factors. We don't know the cause. So therefore this becomes one of those complex problems, right? That it's not the only complex problem. Certainly climate change is a complex problem. Um, You know, income inequality is a complex. So we have many complex problems. We've had them throughout our history. Um, And as a species, we've had complex problems. So right now, this whole idea of, of shooters is a complex problem in need of a solution. I think we all agree that we have to come up with some sort of solution because it is a, it is a problem. It's a complex problem, but one that needs to be addressed. Right. And, and, and similarly, you know, the, the issues that we talked about with book banning and everything, that is another complex problem because what we're, we're talking about, what type of information should people have access to? And, right. and is there information, is certain information appropriate for certain people? Um, right. you know, we talked the other week about, um, you know, the committees that we were on to look at, help evaluate some books that a group of individuals had concerns that were in the public schools, uh, public right. school libraries. And, you know, again, we can kind of look back at history and we can see where different groups that, you know, perhaps at the time and in those, com- in those communities or in those countries at the time, you know, what was being, what was happening seemed, okay, I can understand it that, you know, right. that, um, uh, Hitler would, would say that we need to do this and um, they make, they go right along with it. And then later we look back at it and say, Oh my gosh, you know, he, they, they banned all those books and they were burning the books and what they were burning were ideas and um, you know, um, beliefs and things like that. Um, But we have this still happening now, you know, with, with what um, what's happening in Russia and and what's going on there is very similar uh, because they're banning information. That's right. Um, you can be you can be sent to prison for twelve years if you do a, pro, a, a, pro, a, a, a newscast in Russia and you call the Ukrainian invasion a war. Using the word war will get you a twelve-year prison sentence. So many news outlets have left uh, Russia because they're they're afraid of crossing that line. And that's one man, Alexander Putin, is is saying we're not, you're not allowed to use these words. You're not allowed to talk about this. Okay. Right. So it's a very slippery slope. Um, these are complex issues with complex solutions. And you, you can't just say, we're gonna ban this or ban this or ban, you know, censorship is censorship. And I don't want, I mean, most of us don't want other people making that decision for us, right. whether it's Putin or, or anybody else. So we, the, 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 this idea of books, it's a complex issue and it's gonna require a complex solution. You just can't yank them off the shelf. Right. And, and, and I think that that's the important point, whether we're talking about books or we're talking about guns or we're talking about whatever. Um, when we're talking about some of these things, 
people don't like other people telling them what to do. Right. And, and that is part of the problem uh, because we, you know, we, we've grown up believing certain things or thinking certain things and, and that's where we want to stay. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's very, um, it's very difficult for many people to shift some of those ideas and to shift some of those perspectives and to see, okay, if we, if we do something about this, what is that? Where, where are we going with that? How, where, where's that going to happen? And so one of the things we're going to talk about today is kind of go through a, a brief history of a few things where at the time people thought this is unbelievable. This, all of our rights are being violated and we can't believe that we're doing this. And, and people talked about um, mental health and, and psychological consequences of some of these things, some of these decisions that are going to happen. Right. Um, and, and it didn't work out the way that the people who feared it um, right. thought that it would. Right, exactly. And so if Buffalo was shocking, what happened in Uvalde was just mind numbing. I think that's where everybody is right now. Is it, we're just saying people are ready to throw up their hands and say, what in the world is going on? Uh, what, what creates this sort of thing? Um, and then we have all the predictable reactions. And I'm <clears throat> pleased to know, pleased to see that this whole idea of, well, political elected officials saying, well, our thoughts and prayers are with you. I think we're all tired of hearing that. Um, This is a problem that needs a solution. And to say, well, our thoughts and prayers are with you um, isn't going to solve this problem. Okay. Uh, So in the past two weeks, we've had another, I don't know, eight to 10, uh, 12 mass, mass shootings. So the question then arises, what causes a person to commit these crimes? We don't know. What is the cause? We don't know the root cause. Um, and is there any way to prevent? So I think there are two questions here. What is the cause? And is there any way to prevent these from happening again? So um, everybody has an opinion. Um, It's guns, it's mental illness. You know, the governor of Texas got up and he blamed mental illness. You know, that, that was his conclusion that, well, this is mental illness. There is no single cause. We, we, first of all, we don't know what it is, but we do know that it's not a single cause. And we also know that it's not mental illness. Okay? Right. It's not just bad parenting. It's not just godlessness. People say, well, when we took uh, religion out of schools or we took God out of schools, that this, no, no, this was, this was all going on. That, that's not the cause. Okay. Is it ACEs? We think ACEs, we think adverse childhood experiences contribute. We don't know. Is it the gun lobby? The gun lobby has contributed to it, but it's not, it's not a simple single factor. So there are many, many factors. And so how do we solve a, what we call a complex problem? Well, if we go back in our own history, our recent, and it's recent history, right. we can take a look at other complex problems that we, that we solved. And so this, this next section of the podcast we can title cigarettes, Corvairs, and integration. Some of you don't even know what a Corvair is. Um, <laughs> so, so we, we, uh, but we'll talk about that. Many of us can remember a time when airplanes and restaurants um, had smoking sections. Well, many of us can remember when there weren't, it wasn't even a smoking section. It was just, Do you remember uh, that? Do you remember that? Absolutely. Okay. Because you're half my, you know, you're, you're, you're a few years younger than I am. Um, and so you can, but you can remember, you could smoke anywhere you wanted. Right. Okay. You could smoke in airplanes. When I was in college, we could smoke in class. I mean, to me, to my kids, that's, 
that's incomprehensible right. that you could actually smoke. The teachers smoked in class. Right. I mean, they, they would smoke cigarettes or pipes or whatever they had. And when you were done, you threw it on the floor and stepped on it. And so you had cigarette butts all over the, all over your college classrooms. And so, but many people don't remember that. And, and, and if you go back to another generation, cigarettes were actually given away. Right. Um, during World War II. Um, and up until 1976, um, cigarette companies would package these uh, three or four um, cigarettes and some waterproof matches, and they would put them into rations that were given to soldiers, along right. with chocolate bars and, you know, freeze-dried food right. or their dehydrated food. And we would actually give them away. Okay, right. So and watch old movies. Go to Turner movie, Turner Classic movies, and you know, smoking was sexy. It was considered right. sophisticated. And, and and it wasn't until the, the until the nineteen nineties right. that there, it was banned in most public places. Um, and, and, you know, now we have tobacco free campuses and, and now, you know, if you watch a movie, one of the, part of the rating system, if right. a movie is, if a movie has cigarette smoking in it, that, that bumps the, the rating up to right. at least a, a PG or PG 13. So it's, you know, it, it went from something that was not just popular, but almost expected, you know, as part of the, the rations for, for our soldiers, right. um, something that was widely used to, you know, it became a public health problem. Exactly. When, when it was put, so here we have this problem over these years and over the, our lifetime, suddenly something that was complete, it was ubiquitous. I mean, people just smoked, pilots smoked in airplanes. Okay, right. You, you could smoke anywhere you wanted. You could smoke in a hospital, right? I worked. I worked in a hospital in the '80s, and we smoked in our offices in a hospital. Well, Richard, and remember, um, you, you know, I, I remember when I was a kid. The thing that they always said that that fathers did when their child was born was pass out cigars in the waiting room. Right. And they in were, the waiting room. The waiting room. They were smoking cigars while um, after the, they got the information that the child had been born. So, so yeah, it was it was pervasive. It was everywhere. Mm -hmm. And even if you were a non-smoker, you were still, okay. So over those years, we learned that, oh, indeed, cigarettes are dangerous to your health. They, they are related to disease and death. So over the years, and, and in just a few years, we went from a perfectly normal activity that everybody accepted everywhere Mm -hmm. to the 1990s where there are complete bans. There are tobacco-free campuses. You can't use tobacco in any form when you're on this campus, okay? So that's a huge change, but it was a very complex problem. There were many, okay, there, were, there was resistance from smokers. You know, people said, wait a minute, this is a right. I have a right to smoke if I wanna smoke, okay? There was resistance from cigarette companies, okay? These companies had lied about their own research and the tobacco company, the tobacco lobby succeeded in keeping politicians in line. Right. Um, what happened eventually was that the government, the United States government had to step in because the tobacco companies weren't policing themselves. They weren't publishing the data that they had. That's what we found out later right. when, when the investigation was completed. Um, <clears throat> so even though... Um, even though people were arguing that it's their right, smoking bans have prevailed, okay? It was seen as a public health issue and that we knew that cigarette smoking was killing smokers as well as non-smokers. And so um, eventually the government stepped in and said, 
we have to stop this. We know we know this is a problem. We have to solve the problem. It was a complex problem, right? But it was solved, right? And now another another complex problem that was addressed and eventually um, uh, managed and solved is um, started in a, a, from, with a book written in 1965, right? And and Richard, I remember. I can remember as a kid. So even though this was 65, I, I, you know, 10, 15 years later, I can remember riding in the back of the car um, (laughs) and with, you know, just, just riding or even riding in the front seat of the car, but um, without a seatbelt on. So in 65, uh, 1965, Ralph Nader, who, uh, you know, he ran for president a few times and right. um, mm-hmm. and everything. He wrote, he wrote a book entitled uh, Unsafe at Any Speed, The Designed in Dangers of the American Automobile. And he, so he talked about some of those built-in design flaws. Right. And he, he focused particularly on a car called the Corvair. Right. It was made by Chevrolet. And the idea, the idea was they, after World War II, these engineers had seen rear-mounted engines engines in the back of the car. That's where the Volkswagen was in Europe. The engine was in the rear. So they wanted to bring this technology to the United States. So one of the first companies was General Motors and they built the Corvair. And the idea was they wanted to get rid of that drive shaft with people. There was a hump in the middle of a car. Right. In the back seat of the car, in the front of the car, the transmit, and in the back, and we used to stand on that hump when we were yeah. kids. Right, not, on it. Yeah. Not only did, were we not seated without a seatbelt, we actually stood right on the hump of a car. Okay, and so that was the drive shaft. Well, that that if you put the engine in the back, you didn't need that hump, so you got rid of the hump. So they went through all these um, these um, models to get this rear-driven um, car to market. Now, the engineers who developed this knew about this flaw, that, that it affected the steering and you couldn't control the car at certain speeds. That's what he meant by unsafe at any speed. The engineers knew this. The engineers knew that it was flawed. In fact, the Ford Motor Company got a hold of two Corvairs and they test drove them. And in both cases, they had problems with the steering, with, with managing this car. It would flip over, okay? And so, and so everybody knew this, but the engineers, either remain silent or they were silenced by the company. Right. Um, prior, to, prior to Nader's book, which started to reveal these, um, these design flaws, prior to that, the only thing that was ever discussed was driver error. Right. If there was an accident, and there were like 50,000 people a year, and, and there weren't as many drivers then as today. And it was always driver error. The driver did something wrong. And Nader's book said, let's look at the car. Let's take a look at the automobile, okay? And maybe the automobile or something about automobiles was also contributing to this complex problem. Mm -hmm. And as a result of this book, a year later, the United States, but the Congress of the United States, imagine this. The Congress of the United States within one year had passed the National Traffic and Motor Vehicle Safety Act and later on the Highway Safety Act, okay, which was a range of uh, safety features built into cars like padded steering wheels because um, why? Because in accidents, you would be forced into the steering wheel, which is a rigid steel frame and you get it would puncture your chest, right? Yeah. Um, Seatbelts came from this, the, the idea of seatbelt safety glass that didn't explode on impact. It would, it would break, but not uh, shatter. 
uh, rear breakup lights, the stuff that we take, stuff that we take for granted today was built into this law, but it was a law that Congress said, we have to take action. This is a problem. Right. And all, and all of this led to, to other things that we see, because wasn't it, which wasn't it the, 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 um, um, the gremlin, there was a yes. car that, um, and that the Pinto. Right. The Pinto, they were pretty popular, but they had the engine in the back, but they found that, you know, if the car was rear ended, um, they, you were at risk for a car exploding or something. It would explode in flames, right. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, these kinds of laws came in to Mm -hmm. protect us because prior to that, you know, car companies really just made the cars the way that they wanted to make them. And again, as you, as you suggested, you know, there were, um, there were, there were rules, but they, you know, even if they found something wrong with it, they weren't necessarily any mechanisms in place to say, hey, we should do something different or we need to change this or we need to monitor this. Um, and so with this, with the passing of this law, they, they, they created all of these, these protections so that we can drive safely. I mean, Richard, if you think about it, when you drive down the interstate, you're driving, you know, 70 miles an hour right. in a, a vehicle that weighs a half a ton. <laughs> Next to somebody else who's doing the same thing. Right. And you're only a couple of feet away from each other. So to think that, you know what, maybe we should make sure that these things are safe. Yeah. When you have, when you have children and they turn 16 and you think, wait a minute, I'm going to hand you the keys to a 2000 pound weapon. Right. I mean, it it becomes that, you know, and you have to, you know, is, is this 16 year old ready I mean, the 16-year-olds aren't causing most of the problems. It's people who drive, you know, recklessly. So, but again, we see the government stepping in and saying, we have to, this is a complex problem. It's going to require all of us to work together to solve some of these problems. Okay. The the automobile industry fought against these regulations. Of course they will. Um, But they fought against them. Um, Drivers didn't want to use seatbelts. Uh, so I, have, I have a right to drive without a seatbelt. Well, then you made it a law. You know, you have to wear a seatbelt because right. it's a public health issue. If you get hurt in a car accident, somebody has to pay some emergency room has to take care of you because right. you didn't want to wear a seatbelt. Yeah, you had the freedom not to wear it. So there was a law passed that said, no, you have to wear one. It's best, hey. it's best if everybody wears one. And with both of the examples we've talked about so far, part of the outcry was, well, you know, if you ban cigarettes from bars, then the bars are going to close down because nobody's going to right. go to them. Or if you, if you do this with vehicles, the costs are going to be so great that, you know, we're not going to be able to do, but yet the, yet the bars didn't close. Right. Yet the automobile industry continued to make automobiles. Um, okay. so, so even this- though the, these fear um, uh, approaches, tactics were used to, mm-hmm. to try to prevent some of these things from happening, it, it they, they happen anyways. And it, it didn't. The the, the doomsday uh, warnings did not did not come about. That's right. With both of these things, people predicted a catastrophe. People predicted it didn't happen in any case. In fact, we're safer now right. because of this. Okay. So now the third issue. Uh, we go back to 1958. This I did not know about this. Mm. In 1958, a 38 year old um, man had a master's degree from Case Western Reserve. That's a pretty prestigious university in Cleveland, Ohio. He applied to the doctoral program at the University of Mississippi. Um, When he arrived, um, the governor (laughs) and members of the State Highway Patrol 
um, greeted him at the university, <laughs> which, which to me is, it's hard to imagine that, isn't it? That a governor would bring the police to the university and they had him forcibly removed from the registration area. And then they arrested him, put him in jail. Then two physicians came in and declared that he was mentally ill. Mm -hmm. And he was actually placed in a state asylum. And, and, and the rationale <laughs> is that he must have been insane to think that he, a black man, could attend an all-white Southern University. That's right. That was the rationale for arresting him and putting him in a mental institution. It makes me think of in Stalinist Russia, if you didn't buy the party line, you must be insane. Right. They didn't jail people. They put them into institutions. Because right. you, you have to be insane if you're not accepting what our propaganda. You, there has to be something wrong with you. Okay. And this happened and so, even though this was like years after Brown versus, versus the Board of Education, which said... <laughs> That it's just it's just remarkable that 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 could happen because four years earlier, and this is what yeah. this is what's shocking. So in 1954, we have the famous Brown versus Board of Education, where yeah. the Supreme Court said no, separate is not equal, even though all other cases prior to that, the Supreme Court said that separate and equal is okay. Right back to the 1800s. Now the Supreme Court in 1954 said it's not equal and uh, African-Americans, black, black Americans should be able to attend um, schools with, um, with white children, okay? So this is four years later and he gets arrested and gets put into a mental institution. Now, fortunately his brother was an attorney and he got him out after a couple of weeks. Has his brother not been an attorney? Right. I shudder to think what would have happened to this guy just with a master's degree teaching at Alcorn State. He was a college professor with a master's degree in 1958, and he's put in an insane asylum because he applied to an all-white school. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah. It, it's it, a complex problem. It is a complex problem. And, and all three of these were complex problems. And as we said, you know, two of them were, were public health issues, and, and the other was related to equality and equal access. Um, right. But all three involved powerful companies and corporations and institutions and lest we forget lobbyists and, and right. politicians who, who pushed for laws to be written, um, you know, to sort of to control the narrative, to control what was happening, to control what, right. what we heard about and what we saw and what we, what we could think and what we could know about these things. That's right. In each case, you had, you had this combination of powerful corporations and institutions. I mean, they, right. these universities were like corporations. I mean, they, they didn't want black people in these, in these universities. And so if you were a senator from a tobacco state like Virginia, North Carolina, um, you, you needed that money from, from the, the industry. Right. Um, if you were from Michigan, you needed the automobile manufacturers to support you. Okay. Right. If you were from the South, um, in the South at the, in these years, segregation was law and it was a way of life. I mean, people, there, it was just this assumption that this, that the races would be kept apart. Okay. These elected officials were fully aware of what was expected of them. Okay? Right. And so you have all the same ingredients. First of all, in all three cases, you had special interest groups, right? Okay? In all three cases, you had people insisting it wasn't the car, it was the driver. 
Okay, the problem is not the object, the problem is the, the person. You had, third, you had people insisting that it was their constitutional right to smoke, to not wear a seatbelt, to attend, uh, to keep the races separate. I mean, these were constitutional rights that people argued that they had. Um, you had people insisting that the races were meant to be separated. That, that's what people did. Right. And you had politicians who were part of I'm sorry, they were part of the problem. They were, they were asked to craft legislation that would, they were afraid to craft legislation that would protect the people that they were sworn to serve, okay? Right. They needed the, they needed, if you were in Michigan, you needed the car manufacturers. If you were in the South, you needed them. If you were, um, if you were a tobacco state, you needed that money, okay? So we understand all of that, but but these are the same arguments that are being used today with our complex problems, whether it's climate change or guns or gun violence or whatever it is. Okay, right. so if we go to if we fast forward to twenty twenty two, it's exactly the situation that we're facing with gun violence. Right, it, and and so many other things, as you just said, because um, you know when you think about when we were talking about the cigarette um, situation, it so many of those same arguments were used about vaccinations, right? It's my right not to vaccinate. Well, you not vaccinating, vaccinated um, in, increases the risk for other people. Um, exactly. like you smoking increases the risk for other people because there's no um, vaccinated or unvaccinated line at the store. There's no smoking and non-smoking. At the time, there were no smoking and non-smoking um, restaurants. It, it was... And we wouldn't do that anyway. We wouldn't say, okay, this restaurant is, again, thinking about 40, 50 years ago, there would be no restaurants like that. So we, we are dealing with the same issue, um, the same problems in so many specific issues, whether it's um, vaccinations, whether it's, like you say, global uh, warming or climate change, uh, and, and especially with gun violence, because right. that is such a passionate issue for so many people Right. And, and so many people say, well, there's just not a solution to it. Well, we may not know exactly what the solution is right now, That's but right. nobody thought that there were, we knew what the solution was to these other problems, you know. That's right. Either. That's right. We don't we don't know what the and we, you and I have said that we don't know exactly what's causing these kids and their kids. They're young under 21. The worst massacres are by people younger than 21. Right. Okay. All these shooters are 18, 19, 20. Um, we don't know. We don't know. But but we do know there is a way to solve these problems because we've done it in the past. We've done it with other very complex issues, right. issues that people were passionate about. Smokers are passionate. Okay? Right. Tobacco companies are passionate. Drivers right. are passionate. Um, segregationists are passionate and integrationists are passionate. Okay? And, and, and a lot of those in the past dealt with constitutional rights as well. That's right. The, the, many of these were constitutional issues. Okay. So how do we stop the slaughter? Because, and, and also we might add, do you remember stay in your lane? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Remember pediatricians were told you can't talk about guns, stay in your lane. Right. And, they, and that pediatrician said, this is my lane. Even right. Even though, even though, um, accidental, um, gunfire guns, um, discharge or, you know, accidental gun injuries, is very common in young children. Right. Um, yeah. Pediatricians couldn't ask it, you know, we're told that they weren't allowed to ask if uh, there were guns in the house. Right. Uh, 
many of these shootings are caused by, not caused, many of these shootings result from kids getting access to their parents' weapons. There was one, there was a case recently where a, a, a small child was in the backseat of the car playing with a gun. For some reason, there was a gun in the backseat with a three-year-old and he right. accidentally shot his mom. Right. And died. Right. Um, yeah. Right a there in the car. A three-year-old and a loaded gun. In, in the, the backseat of the car. car together. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so, so we know that kids getting access to their parents' weapons is a problem. Okay. We know that's a problem. And yet the National Rifle Association said to pediatricians, I, I think in Florida, there was a law passed that said pediatricians are not allowed. You're not allowed to talk about this. You're not allowed to ask if there are easy access to weapons. We do risk assessments. And one of the questions is, does your child have access to weapons? Right. Are there guns in the house that are that are kept um, out in the And so what we're not allowed. And that's what I mean by these gag orders. You're not allowed to talk about some of these things. Well, you have to talk about some of these things. Okay. So when we talk about coming up with a solution to, to a complex problem, there are ways to do that. Right. And so one, number one, you, you, there are no absolutes. Right. Yeah. We, can't, we can't say um, you, you can't talk about this or you, you can't look at this or you, you can't, you know, research this. You can, we can't have absolutes that prohibit us from, you know, finding answers to the questions. Right. Imagine if somebody had said in 1965, okay, we can have a discussion, but we're not talking about the car. Right. Yeah. We can have a discussion, but we're not, we're not going to talk about cigarettes. That's off limits. We're not, we can talk about anything else you want to talk about. We're not going to talk about mixing the races. If you want to talk about educating people and you want to talk about providing services to people, that's fine, but we are right. not going to discuss integration. We, we are not going to mix the races. Imagine if, if, if any of those had been in place that we never would have solved the problem. Right. I mean, you know, you remember George Wallace famously saying segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. Well, if you start with that, right. <laughs> how do you solve, you can't solve a problem. So there aren't, there cannot be any absolutes. We have to talk about guns. We have to talk about the second amendment. We have to talk about, all the factors that might be contributing to this problem. If we're going to solve the problem, everything has to be on the table. Right. And, and, and I think that the second thing that we have to do is we have to recognize that gun violence is a complex issue. It, it's right. not, it, it's, it's not just the guns. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. not just mental illness or, or soft targets or um, evil people or, you know, any of those kinds of things. It, it is, it is much more complex than that. Exactly. And we have to face it as a complex problem. Okay. We can't, there is no single cause. There's no single issue. Um, well, and you, you mentioned it earlier that, you, you know, we, we, we try to say, okay, well, you know, we're going to lock down the schools and we're going to make them, you know, Fort Knox, we're going to make them. You said a moment ago that many of the shooters, a majority of the shooters are under the age of 21. Right. Which mm -hmm. means that many of these shooters, and we also know that many of the shooters, especially at school shootings, attended the schools attended the same school so, so they have listened they have been there for all of the drills right they've been there for all of the practice um what do we do for a lockdown what do we do for active shooter drill what do we do for a gun uh, you know if there's a, a fire they've been there for all of those things they know all of those procedures right they, they know the safe places they know the unsafe places right because they've already been trained 
Right. So, so we can't just say, oh, well, we're just going to keep training the schools or we're going to keep, you know, lock, keeping them locked down. It's not, it's a, it's a false sense of security that we're trying to, to impose there. And once we really think about it, it's, that's not the answer, not in and of itself. Right. Exactly. No, it's not just schools. Gun violence isn't only happening in schools. Okay? Right. So uh, it's happening everywhere now. And so it used to happen. We used to hear about it in schools. Now it's happening everywhere. Okay. Um, the third, this third rail, this idea of the second amendment, I'm sorry, guys, we got to put second amendment on the table. Um, right. the Constitution is a living document. Um, the, the founding fathers had the good sense to make the constitution a living document that could be changed to reflect the realities of whatever was, was going to, whatever the future was going to be. Now they couldn't predict the future, but they knew that, that they would probably have to have a document that needed to be changed. Um, so there's nothing sacred about any particular amendment. We've had 20 some amendments. Uh, changes to the Constitution. There's nothing sacred about any one of them. We could take and take any amendment. Take the Eighth Amendment. Okay, uh, is there something sacred about the Eighth Amendment? Is cruel and unusual punishment. Okay, right. solitary confinement is considered cruel and unusual punishment now, according to the Supreme Court. Okay, mm -hmm. but we still are putting people in solitary confinement. Right. Okay, um, a 20-year uh, prison sentence for you know, we had three strikes and you're out. Right. We had that law, three strikes and you're out, which means you get maximum uh, prison time if you've done your third offense. Well, what if your third offense is shoplifting a, a, a $2 bottle of, of Mountain Dew, okay? Richard, I, I evaluated a guy one time whose uh, final offense that they were ready to put this guy away to prison. He, he had uh, serious mental health issues, he, mental illness. He had schizophrenia. Um, he he literally stole a um, a betta fish, okay. a cup with a betta fish in it. I think it was a couple of dollars. Right. But in his mind, he wanted a pet. He was a home. He was homeless, and he went into a pet store. And he, but that was going to result in him not getting help for his mental illness that contributed to so much of these issues. Right. But they were gonna. They wanted to send him to prison for I think twenty some odd years for um, a, a, the accumulation of of. These little petty offenses, right? right? So they're going to be, okay, that's the Eighth Amendment. The Eighth Amendment says we shouldn't do that. The Eighth Amendment to the Constitution, okay, that we shouldn't do that, okay? But we still do it. There's this messiness about these amendments, okay? What about the 18th Amendment? Right. Prohibition, okay? Prohibition. 18th Amendment to the Constitution. This is written into law. You cannot drink in the United States. And the 19th Amendment said, let's get rid of the 18th Amendment. Okay, so that was a fiasco because it created, um, it, it, it sort of created the mafia or, or allowed the mafia to step in. The okay, the 22nd Amendment, um, that a president could only serve two terms. Who would have thought? Well, you had Franklin Roosevelt in the depression, World War II. So circumstances were such that he got elected four times. Okay, nobody could have predicted Right. That in 1783, but lo and behold, in 1945, that suddenly became an issue. So the Constitution. So this is a living document, and gun ownership is no more sacred than anything else. It, right. I mean, why should the Second Amendment 
be any different than any other amendment. It, right. These are living documents. Nobody could have predicted. I mean, when the founding fathers, and, and I don't want to get into an argument about the Second Amendment. I'm just saying that the Second Amendment is no more sacred than any other amendment. Right. It's a malleable, changeable document. Right. And it has to be on board. It would be like, we're not going to talk about guns. Then let's not talk about cars and cigarettes. Okay. We had to talk about cars and cigarettes in order to solve the problem. Right. And, and with all of that in mind, you know, this solving this problem may cause or may may need require government intervention. That's right. Um, you know, the government, because, you know, to pass laws or amendments, um, you know, they had to be involved to solve previous complex problems. And so they may have to be involved again now. That's right. Um, we, uh, I used to teach this in my classes. Brown, Board, Brown versus Board of Education was in 1954. Bernie, when were the schools desegregated in Polk County? Oh, I don't remember. I don't know. It's in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I knew it was in the yeah, in the 80s, it was years after, many years. 30 years later, okay. And so nine years after Brown versus Board of Education, the first two black females went to the University of Alabama, okay? And, and it was only after President Kennedy sent in the National Guard. We had, to send, we had to send in the army for these two girls to go to the University of Alabama. In 1963, it was not eight years after, nine years after Brown versus Board of Education. Just by changing a law still may not solve the problem. Right. You might have to send in the troops. Yeah. Okay? But you have to have you have to have leadership that, to make those difficult decisions. Dwight Eisenhower did it in Little Rock, Arkansas. He right. sent in the troops and said, no, these kids are going to go to this high school. And right. somebody had to send the military in to keep people from killing each other. Right. And, and I think another issue that we have to recognize is that um, it, this is a this is a problem that's relatively unique to the to the United States. Right. Um, I mean, sure. Other some other countries have violence and, and things like that. Um, but but there are other godless countries. Um, there are other countries where a lot of students, a lot of kids play video games and, um, you know, that do a lot of these same things that we do here in the United States. Right. They don't have some of these problems. We're not the only country that has mental illness. Right. Every every country in the world has citizens, has individuals who would be deemed mentally ill by any standard. Okay. Right. So there's something different. You know, there were two mass shootings in Canada last year. We we had two there were eight in Mexico. Okay. We we consider Mexico a dangerous country. It's dangerous in some ways. It's, the drug cartels, of course, are dangerous there, and they will kill individuals. But nobody's do. Our, our, the United States is the only country that has these kind of mass shootings at, at this scale, on the, at this rate. Okay, right. so there's something unique about America. People around the world, people in other countries, are saying, "What is it about the United States?" Well, maybe we should be asking that question as well. Is there something, again, complex problem? What is it about America that we're almost unique? We are unique in this regard of mass shootings. Right. And you just mentioned mental health. You know, again, that's that is a great example of the complexity of the problem because there are so many mental health issues. Right. Um, and, you know, to be diagnosed with a mental illness requires real specific criteria and, and those kind of things. But, you know, you, you have people with subclinical uh, yeah. symptoms. You have people who, you know, they, 
we, we have acute onset of symptoms. And so they don't really meet the criteria for anything, but you know, when a, when a person has um, uh, schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, that first break is what they call it. That first psychotic break that a person with schizophrenia may have, may have had absolutely no symptoms or no, no, nothing before that first yeah, break. That's right. Um, no, it's true. I mean, <laughs> you, you, we have these diagnosable disorders, you know, when people say to me, and, and I know this happens to you as well, people will come to us and they'll say, well, is, is um, this kid had to be mentally ill, right? Right. And they, you don't realize the complexity of that question because there's mental illness that is defined in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. That's one set of mental illness. But then there's distress. Okay, there's subclinical mental problems that are not. You wouldn't diagnose a person, but they could be in severe distress without having a mental illness. Right. Or they might be mentally ill and never do anything like this. Right. And, and, and we talk a lot, and it's another issue, we talk a lot about mental health in the schools. Right. Um, and it's great, you know, that we're, we're pushing to have more mental health providers in the schools, and we're doing a lot mm-hmm. to try to take care of students and things like that. But, but we have some of these things happening in the community as well. Buffalo, New York, it was in, in the grocery store. That's and right. So, um, yes, we may be doing some things in, in schools, but, but what about other places? That's right. Um, and, and when it comes to schools, when we talk about solving these problems in schools, we're talking about a couple of things. One is, okay, you wanna make schools safer. So you have metal detectors and you have locked doors and you have uh, you know, shooter you have drills, safety drills. Okay, so you make schools as safe as you can, but what's the other thing you wanna do? Well, the other thing you wanna do is you wanna prevent these problems from occurring in the first place. Okay, right. so how do, we, how do we make students, because, what we want to do is prevent them, which means we want to make students, we want to make schools kinder places, gentler places, uh, where there's a more supportive environment, where kids who are having trouble can go to somebody in the school and know that they can get help. Okay. Well, we call that social emotional learning. And, we want- and we've just recently did a podcast about people fighting against that. And people now are going to school board saying, we don't want you to do social emotional learning because you're indoctrinating our kids. No, we're just trying to make the schools safer by, by teaching these lessons about emotions and, and telling kids that it's okay to come to us and we will help you. We'll, we'll, we'll work through these things with you right. um, to try to change the environment, the culture in the building. Okay. That's also a piece to this complex problem. So when you have people saying, no, 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 you can't talk about that. You can't talk about race. You can't talk about LGBT. Those are non-starter. No, no, we're not going to discuss those things. Well, back we are to no, no, no. You can't talk about cars. You can't talk about cigarettes. You can't talk about mixing. No, you have to be able to talk about these things. If you want schools, if you want teachers to keep your kids safe, allow them to discuss what they need to discuss. Absolutely. And so, so, you know, kind of wrapping this up and, and, and pulling this all together, we have a lot of work to do. You know, right. we have to we have to deal with the situation in the schools and we have to, um, you know, give schools the opportunity and the permission to do what they need to do to fix the problems in right. the schools. Um, managing students, working with students, supporting students and, and their teachers and, and letting 
letting them do their work. That's right. Let teachers do the job. They're very good at this. Yeah. I mean, most, Bernie, you've been, you've spent three years in the schools. Most teachers are very good at what they do. Yes, there are some who are not so good, but by and large, teachers are dedicated and they're pretty darn good at what they do. Right. And you know, a lot of people um, are very critical of public schools. And, and I mean, we know that there are people who want to close public schools. They want everything to become privatized. And, right. and, and that's just not going to, there's just no way for that to happen. We need to, we need to stop this whole idea of, well, we need to just turn everything into charter or magnet schools. Right. We, we need a system that's in place for the majority of the population that's because right. that's right. That's who is in public schools. The vast majority of the population is in public schools. If we didn't have that system, we would end up with a lot of people who are uneducated. That's right. The most dangerous thing is an educated population. That's right. Right. They don't. Since the um, 1980s, what was that book? Um, it was during the 1980s, Terrell Bell, Terrell Bell um, was Secretary of Education, and he wrote a book about public schools. And since then, there has been this call by politicians that we have to, and we have to shut down public schools. Okay? Right. That's like shutting down police departments. Remember, everybody said you can't shut down the police departments. Well, right. you can't shut down public schools either. Okay, If you do, if you shut down public schools, then what? Okay, because in fact, we shut down public schools in March of 2020. Right. What happened? It didn't go very well. Everything came apart. Okay. So be careful what you wish for. This idea of magnet and charter schools, people say, well, magnet and charter schools do better job. Magnet and charter schools were alternatives to busing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's go back to why do we have those? We had those because when we wanted to integrate schools, one of the ways to do it was by busing. Parents didn't want forced busing. So they said, okay, give us another solution. And the solution was magnet and charter schools. They were never meant to replace or to be an alternative to public education. They've become that, okay? But if you have kids in a magnet school where they're all there voluntarily, their parents want them there, the teachers want to be there, it's easy to teach in a magnet school, okay? But what about the kids who aren't easy to teach? What about the kids who have behavior problems? What about the kids who come from violent households? There are no magnet and charter schools for them. Right. Okay. Everybody wants the easy kids. Everybody wants to teach our kids because our kids behave themselves and they do their homework and they have parental support. Everybody wants to teach those kids. What about the kids who don't have those things? Where do we put them? So when you talk about closing the public schools, that's what you're talking about closing. Okay. There's a reason we have free public education and it was to educate everybody not just not just the few okay right and and i think one of the one of the biggest issues that we have to work through is we have to realize that we're not enemies jesus you know we are we are there is so much division divisiveness going on in the country um you know christians versus non-christians blacks versus whites immigrants um we have, you know, gays versus straight. It's, there are so many um, tribes. And I think one of the biggest tribes is left and right um, or Republican and Democrat or conservative and liberal, however it wants wants to be presented. Um, And and we all want the same thing. I mean, let's not forget that that we all want a safe, successful life for all of our citizens. That's what we all want. 
we, we have different ideas and different ways of, of, of attaining that, right. uh, of helping people to, or it, creating an environment where people can achieve that. But we're not enemies. We want the same thing. Right. We just have different ideas and perspectives on how to do that. But we treat each other as though we are these mortal enemies that we have to defeat, that we have to demean and, and just be so aggressive towards mm-hmm. um, that as soon as you st- as soon as you see somebody come up on, on TV or, or wherever and one is printed in red ink and one is printed in blue ink, you know that there, there's going to be a fight. That's right. And it, and it makes no sense because fighting doesn't accomplish anything. Right. Right. I'm really no, no matter how I vote, no matter where I worship, no matter what I think, I'm really not anybody's enemy. <laughs> Believe me, I, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I have people I know. I have seen people, family members and friends who get along just perfectly fine until they find out where you stand on a certain issue, abortion, Trump, um, immigration, climate change, doesn't matter what the issue is, okay? Got a Second Amendment, okay? Once you find out and it's called identity politics. Okay, mm-hmm. once you find out that a person, what a person's position is, you suddenly separate. You cannot, you can't associate with each other anymore. If you if you feel that way, and we have nothing to talk about, you're my enemy. Okay, well, that didn't happen accidentally. Right. Okay. We have we have news. No, we have entertainers who are on TV every day telling us that we should dislike each other, hate each other, not trust each other, okay? We're all living in this country together. And yet we have many people, elected officials, media stars, they're not newsmen, they're media stars, who are telling us that we, we should really be afraid of each other and we should really hate. You should really be afraid of these immigrants. You should be really afraid of these people of color. You should really be afraid of liberals. No, no, you don't. You don't need to be afraid of anything. You know, we're all in this together. We all want to go to the grocery store and not worry about being gunned down. Right. We all want to send our kids to schools and not worry about them being massacred. Right. Yeah. So, so there, there, there are all of these issues and, and all of that. And we haven't even touched on the issues with, you know, the changing teenage brain right. or, or, you know, um, we haven't even talked about, you know, the, the, the issue with like assault rifles and things like that, you know, assault rifles aren't for hunting um so what are they for um so you know those are a couple of things that that we really need to focus on as well but my goodness we have to get through some of this other business and just come to the agreement that we're all on the same team we all want the same thing you know let's put everything on the table and let's just have a have a decent adult conversation about some of these things so that we can figure out the best solution that's right. You know, how did we get to identity politics? Do other countries do that? Right. I don't know. We have friends in England. I mean, mm-hmm. they they don't agree politically, but I don't I don't think they hate each. I don't think they fear each other. You know, I don't know. I don't know what it is. We talk about the teenage brain. Yeah, all these kids have teenage brains, but all teenagers have a teenage brain. But right. most teenagers are not shooting up schools and grocery stores. Absolutely. So it, it, is it the teenage brain? I don't. I don't know. I. Is yeah. everything, you know, um, well, and I think we should talk about assault rifles. You know, you want to hunt, you want to, it has to be on a table. I'm not saying yes, no, or maybe. I'm just saying we need to discuss the role of assault rifles. Right. With the equation. 
Right. So, so as we, as, as our country is looking at yet another tragedy, um, you know, and, and there's been a lot of tragedies that some, many of which don't even make it onto the news anymore. Um, you know, we need to, we need to keep in mind that, as we've said all along today, you know, this, these are complex issues that require complex problem solving and, and to solve a problem you have to put everything on the table. You have to have the opportunity to talk about all possible causes, all possible solutions, and, and work together from a variety of backgrounds, a variety of perspectives. Everybody needs to work, be able to work together to solve the problem. That's how it's done. Not through divisiveness, not through fear, not through um, you know, just manhandling. We need, to, we need to have a conversation. Um, to solve these problems. That's right. And everything has to be on the table. Okay. Right. Even if you don't like certain things and there are certain things that I, I think, are, but it doesn't matter what I think. Right. Everything has to be on the table. If we're going to solve a complex problem, everything has to be there to discuss and to debate, to negotiate. We have to come to terms with this slaughter. I mean, there's no other word for it. We have a slaughter going on in this country every week. And we just have to solve the problem. It's going to take moral courage. It's also going to take political courage. Right. Somebody's, somebody is going to have to make some difficult decisions. And it may have to be the federal government. Right. Yeah. In the past, it's been Congress. Yeah. Congress. Congress solved the cigarette problem. They solved the car problem. And they solved the integration problem. Right. Why can't it solve this problem? It can, but it takes political will. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it for today. Until next time. Uh, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.